Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you now in this focused, intentional, pastoral prayer time to seek you and to ask that you would make us united, that there would be unity in us. God, we pray at first for First Baptist Church of Fairdale. God, we know that there is a big need for Fairdale and South Louisville and Louisville to be united, especially for the believers, the churches to be united. And we ask for that. God, we pray that you would create unity in us. Father, we will read today in Philippians chapter 2 the call to be united. Father, help us to see in the Bible that this is your desire, a unified church. Let that be our conviction that we want, we desire unity. Father, but from that, help us to understand what it takes. God, help us to be able to see and admit that there will be differences among us, lots of differences, but it is with those differences that we stay united because of Jesus, because of the truth that instructs us and guides us, that is the, the lamp to our feet and the light to our path, God, what, 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 what shows us the way. And so, God, even though we see differences, even though there are times where we say, that's not how I would have done it. That we still strive for unity. God, help us to understand that at the very core of unity is the ability to forgive. Help us to be a forgiving people. And help us to understand that when you forgive somebody, it means you know they did something bad. They did something wrong. Somebody has been hurt, offended. There has been damage done. And still, forgiveness is possible. God, remind us that the unity that we have with you is all about that. That you are constantly overlooking our offenses or looking at the judgment of Jesus on the cross in light of our offenses, and we are still connected with you. There is wonderful unity between us and you, God, because of Jesus. And God, help us to bring that same love and mercy and compassion and understanding to the relationships that we have. Father, also help us to understand that the way we do or don't model unity is our witness, for better or worse. When we practice unity under the lordship of Jesus, that is a witness to the world. Father, when we don't, it is a damaging witness to the world. Father, give us this heart. May your Holy Spirit do it. Convict us of our sins. Build us up. Give us a biblical worldview, eyes to see. Give us sensitive hearts. Give us firm feet on a firm foundation. Help us to focus on Jesus for the sake of unity, for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're at. We finished up chapter 1 last week, although we will be looking a little bit back to it. 
Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look really at the first uh, four verses, but I've mentioned the first five verses here. We'll mention verse 5. Verse 5 will be our launching point for next week. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. It's a big deal. What a big sporting event. It's huge. Personally, I like March Madness a whole lot better, but the world likes the Super Bowl better. More people watch it. The Super Bowl today will be shown in over 130 countries. Can you imagine? USA is one. There are 129 other countries in the world that will watch the Super Bowl. That's, that's incredible, right? It will be broadcast in over 30 different languages. And they are guessing that there will be over 100 million people tonight watching the Super Bowl. That's cool. That is really, really cool. A lot of eyes on the TV tonight. No wonder commercials are so expensive. Because there are so many people watching. The, the reach will be very far tonight. We understand, we understand that. But I have to ask myself, are there that many people that like football? I don't think so. I do not think so. There definitely are not 130 countries that like American football. We're really the only country that plays this sport. A few others are trying. There aren't that many people that like football. And so, why are they watching? Well, I think there's something here where we, we like get-togethers with people we like. I think so. I think it's more of an event than it is, uh, let's watch the game. Don't you think tonight there will be people at a Super Bowl thing who don't really care about the game, right? My wife will be one of those. I bet she doesn't know who's in the Super Bowl. Chiefs from Kansas City and 49ers from San Francisco tonight. And surely, over 100 million people in 130 different countries watching this game, it's not because they know the players or the teams or the mascots or, or the game, but rather it's because, hey, it's people getting together around some friendship, around some hangout time, around some food, and I like that. And I agree, that's cool. Well, the Bible gives us this idea about what Christians should think. But in, listen to me. But instead of it being football or get-togethers, it's Jesus and his truth. And that thing there, that truth there, is enough to unite us. If football can get groups of people together, you better believe that Jesus can get people together. There are many of you all right now that I don't really care to watch a football game with tonight. If you invited me, I might come, I might not, you know, I don't know. Some of y'all would never invite me. But I want to do Jesus with you all, right? That, that's my point. We decide who we want to watch ball games with, but when Christ becomes our Lord, we want to be with anybody else who Christ is their Lord. And this is what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. This is what he is writing to the Christians, the Philippians of that church. Read with me, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... 
Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Y'all, this is the beginning of Philippians 2, and Philippians 2 is one of the best passages in the entire Bible. It actually starts at verse 5. Verses 5 through 11 is called the Christ hymn, and I've been debating all week if we should go 1 through 11 and include the Christ hymn, or if we should just do 1 through 4 today and save all of the Christ hymn 5 through 11 uh, for one sermon, and so that's what I've decided. Next week will be 5 through 11, and this is considered one of the best passages in the whole New Testament, and perhaps, right, Perhaps the very, very best passage in the whole Bible on the humility of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We're getting there, but we're not there yet. What has happened, though, in the letter to the Philippians is that Paul in chapter 1 has gotten very serious about living for Jesus. You remember last week we talked all that about death, right? If you were here last week, you remember that. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that to die is gain. He goes there. He gets heavy with it. He doesn't avoid the conversation of death. He doesn't avoid the topic of funerals and loss or heaven or hell and where are they and dealing with all that. He, he approaches it. He brings it up because he says that if you are trusting in Christ, dying is far better for you. He says that in chapter 1 verse 23. He goes there. And the reason why you need to go there is because life is hard. Now, if you're still trying to convince yourself that life is good and everything's all good, then you're probably not going to put a lot of emphasis on Jesus. But if you realize that sin's a real thing and shortcomings and guilt and shame and struggle and hardship and being tired and being frustrated, and if you realize that life is that way, then you will eventually, I hope, look to Christ as the answer. And when you know that Christ is the answer, then you start to look at the hardships through the mind of Christ, the eyes of Christ, the truth of Christ. And that's what he's wanting the Philippians to see. Look back at how chapter 1 ended, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What a statement. The way you live display the worth of Christ. That's what he wants for them. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but look at this, but also suffer for his sake. Look at this, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Nobody can read the New Testament or Philippians chapter one, the end of it, and think that Christianity and church is going to be easy and smooth. That is not what we want people to think. We are barely making it through this thing called life. It is heavy. We are tired at times. We are worried at times. We are stressed at times. We are burdened at times. That is life. And he writes that to them. He talks about them being scared. He talks about them living worthy. He talks about them standing firm. He talks about them striving. He talks about a clear sign of destruction by the way that you live. This is serious stuff. He says you're going to suffer. It's been granted to you. You're going to suffer with Jesus. Welcome to Christianity. 
Our king suffered. They hated him. The Bible says all this. They hated him. They said get rid of him. The innocent man on trial, and they have a riot of people screaming, screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah, that's our leader. That's it. That's our king. And he says, you are going to suffer with him. He says, we are going to be engaged in the same conflict. It says it right there in verse 30. You're going to be engaged in the same conflict. And if anybody gives an honest, healthy reading of what the Bible says church and Christianity is, it is a work, it is a struggle, it is a difficult road at times. Now, not always, not always, but it can be. We are in the world, but not of the world. We have been made new and redeemed by Jesus, regenerated, we are a new creation, but we're still in the flesh. We don't want to sin, but we still do sin, right? This is the reality. And we proclaim that we have found God. And there are people who don't believe in God, so they think we're ridiculous for saying that. Well, it's there in that conflict, tension, struggle, that he turns to chapter two and starts to really build up, starts to really give a healthy, healthy instruction for us. Three points today. Number one, the sweetness of being in Christ. I don't always have good enough points for you to write down, but write that down. At least just write down the word sweetness. The sweetness of being in Christ. In that tension that he just talked about, the suffering, the striving that he just brought up, look where he goes next. Chapter two, verse one. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, are you encouraged by Jesus, he asks? Now, not, not in life. Not as, as work been encouraging. Not have the, the family dinners and conversations been encouraging. No. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there anything encouraging about Jesus? Is there anything about Jesus that builds you up, makes you feel better? Is there anything, anything about Jesus that, that gives you strength? Is there anything about the message of Jesus that you like? These are rhetorical questions, right, for the church. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, to which the answer is, is there? Absolutely there is. He loves me with an everlasting love. He knows me and still loves me. He knows my secrets and still loves me. He, he, he loves me so much that at my worst, he was willing to die for me. He is for me. He says he's taken my judgment. He's taken my penalty. He's taken my condemnation. He's taken my punishment from God. He has taken my death upon him so that I don't have to. That is so encouraging. Now, here's, the, here's what he's doing. He is not, and we've been saying this in Philippians now for several weeks, he's not saying, hey, look around at your circumstances and find something encouraging because that's the way motivational speeches go. Hey, look on the bright side, right? Or you've got to be able to find something good there's got to be something encouraging in your life to which many of us will go, really, there's not. No, he doesn't go there. He says, okay, so if there's anything encouraging about Jesus, I dare you to say Jesus isn't encouraging. 
I dare you to just read a little bit and picture a scene where religious people have found a lady who's guilty in some sexual sin. Hey, it doesn't matter who you are, few things feel as worse as having some sexual sin and everybody around you knowing it. Y'all ever heard somebody say before, she slept with a bunch of people? That just feels like, And picture in the Gospels when there are a bunch of religious people, men too, with a woman who's been with a bunch of people, and they're kind of teaming up on her and bullying her, right? You've got that in the Bible. And they're telling her how wrong and guilty she is. Let me remind you that everybody is guilty before God, everybody, even religious leaders, even pastors. And Jesus walks up on that scene. And it doesn't tell us everything that he says. But Jesus says, you're right, she's guilty. But here's what we should do about it. Whichever of you that aren't guilty, y'all start throwing the stones. It says one by one, they put the stones away, set the stones down, and they left. And eventually, It's our God, Jesus, standing there with this lady. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You think she was encouraged that day? You better believe she was. When you start to see what Jesus is really like, not what everybody says he is, not what the church signs say, not what Christians act like on social media, but when you know what the king of kings is like, how he acts, how he talks, how he treats people, what he's really like, you will find encouragement, you will. And Paul writes to the church, is there any encouragement in Christ? Absolutely. Look at this, is there any comfort from his love? Now in all of these, there are four of these. Any comfort, any participation, any affection. On all four of those, they are meaning in Christ, although it is the first one that only says in Christ. If there's any encouragement in Christ, is there any comfort from love? Does the love of God comfort you? Here's what I say, and here's what I preach, and I say this at every single funeral that I do. It is only the love of God that will comfort you. You have not found comfort yet if you have not found the comfort from the love of God. Truly, take it to the grave. If you, don't, if you haven't found the love of God yet and the comfort from the love of God yet, then the next time somebody dies, you won't be comforted because you won't know what comforts you. The only thing that comforts in life and death is the true love of Jesus, that God loves you so much that he gave his son for you, that even death, even death is safe and overcome in the love of God. I mean, when he asked the church, do you have any comfort from the love of God? Their answer is, come on, come on, Paul. That's our comfort. That is our comfort that God loves us. At the end of the day, God is for us. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that I have talked to people who are having a hard time and I have just said, let me remind you, he loves you. God loves you. He does believe that. You may not see why he's doing what he's doing, but he loves you. He cares. He knows. He is there. I was just reading recently through Exodus, 
And the people of, of, of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and they hate it. And it's getting worse, and they're getting meaner, and it is miserable. And it says, finally, they cried out to God. And it says, God heard them, and God saw them, and God knew. Remember when it said that? And God knew. He cares. He loves them. That is comforting. Not only is the love of Christ your comfort, but let me encourage you to not allow yourself to be falsely or cheaply comforted by things that don't really comfort. Don't try to say, this comforts me, I'm okay, I'll be all right, if you know that it's not. If it comforts you for the next 24 hours, but in 72 hours, you're going to be not comforted, then that's not comfort. And we start talking about deep, tense things, like he's describing here to the church, like death, like striving, like suffering, then you're going to need some comfort. You need a lasting comfort. You know what lasts? The love of God. It never runs out. It never runs out. God loves us forever. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit. Now this word participation here could be a fellowship in the spirit. Maybe it says that. It, it could be the common sharing. It's actually the word here, koinonia, the word for fellowship, the word that we use all the time with the, the gathering of believers. Do you have a common connection, not with people yet, right now it is the, the common sharing, fellowship, participation with the spirit of God. Is that going on? Like I said, I talk to people about God comforting them. I have to say this to people all the time. When people get critical, and believe me, we, we're all prone to it. When people get critical, I love to remind them, hey, do they have the Holy Spirit too? When there are disagreements or differences, and we say, man, I, I'm not really sure about why they're acting that way. I say, listen, have some patience. Calm down. Is the same Holy Spirit in them? Now, it's a good question because if they're not saved, then they don't have the Holy Spirit. But if you think they're saved and they love Jesus, then you have to say, hey, do they have the Holy Spirit? God may not be doing in me right now what he's doing in you right now, and so we may be at different stages of life, but we need to remind ourselves that there's only one Lord, one God, one faith, there's only one Spirit, and that Spirit works in believers, and that creates a common bond. And so here he's asking, is there any, particip any participation in the Spirit? Is there a connection there? When you're going through the striving and you're going through the suffering and you're going through the tension, you have to remind yourself, is God with me in this? Is God here? He says he's with me always. Is he? And the way he is is through the Holy Spirit that is with us always. The Holy Spirit inside, he comforts like no other. He convinces us we're God's children even when we suffer. That's what the Spirit does. Do you have that? Do you have fellowship and participation with the Spirit? Does he convict you of your sins? Does he cause you to see the encouragement in Christ? Does the Holy Spirit cause you to see and feel the comfort from the love of God? And then lastly, is there any affection and sympathy? Some emotions, some feelings. Is that going on inside of you? Do the feelings of God, the desires of God, the, the affections of God stir inside of you? Do you want people to find forgiveness? Do you want people to find help? Do you want people to find truth and answers? Do you want forgiveness to prevail? Do you want people to have their conscience cleansed? Do you want God to show up in people's lives? Do you believe that he can do that? And so do you start seeing that for people? What good words, affection and sympathy, are those there? 
after a hard conversation of chapter one on living and dying and all of that, he just asked them, is there encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort from love? Is there any participation in the spirit? Is there any affection and sympathy? And when those things are brought up to the believer, we are reminded of the sweetness of being in Christ. I'm glad I know Jesus. I'm glad I know Jesus. I'm glad that I know what he says and know what he wants for me. I'm glad I've got his discipline beating me up when I am wrong, but loving me through the conviction to, to keep me focused. Man, it's sweet being in Christ. I'm glad that being in Christ puts me in a church where there will be people that will love me no matter what. It's sweet to be in Christ. There is encouragement. There is fellowship. There is comfort. There is affection. There is sympathy. These are all terms from chapter 2, verse 1, that the Philippians know is there for the life of the Christian, and that is sweet, and he reminds them that. Yeah, there's tension. Yes, there is uh, suffering. And he does not push them toward their circumstances. He pushes them to what it means to know Jesus. He pushes them to the truths of the gospel. He pushes them to Jesus loves you and he knows and he's working. And so because of that, he then says in verse two, okay, if you're reminded of that and you're embracing the sweetness of being in Christ, okay, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, be united around that. Now that you know it, and I got you to say yes to it, yes, thanks for the reminder, then be it. Focus on that. Live that. Concentrate on that. Be united. Know that, know that that person sitting right down the pew from you knows that. Know that the person sitting on the other side of the church knows that. Know that we have those things in Christ. Our lives are centered on Jesus, and Paul says, that will make me joyful. When you know that believers are focused on the relationship we have in Christ, that will make you joyful. And he describes it, same mind, same love, full accord of one mind. In the one verse, he says, same mind, one mind. Unity, unity, unity. This is four different ways to say, be united. Be it. Believe it. Live in it. Live in the encouragement in Christ. Live in the comfort from love. Live in the participation of the Spirit. Live with affection and sympathy toward each other, and that will make people joyful. That is unity, he says. The sweetness of being in Christ. But then he gives a few things that are not it. Number two, the sadness of being selfish. And I really hope that this steps on our toes. I really do. I, I really hope that this will be a, a, an eye-opener to us, make us a little bit uncomfortable. If it is sweet to be in Christ, it is very sad for you to be selfish or about you. All right? Look what he says in verse 3. He's teaching them the opposite now. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Verse 4, let each of you look, look, look not only to his own interests. He gives them here some examples of what it's not. Unity is not looking out for you first. 
Unity is looking out for God first and then looking out for them first. And so, you know, daily we are frustrated by people who on, on, on Facebook or whatever are frustrated with life. And so now they say things like, you know, I'm just cutting out all the toxic people in my life. And from now on, it's just going to be me. I just got to do what's right for me, right? You can go to social media and see tons of people that post that every single day. That ain't Christianity. That's not. Christianity is God first. Christianity is, is us first. Christianity is not, you know, I don't really like any of the songs that we're singing here. Wish we'd sing the songs that I like. Christianity is, I hope those people like the songs. I hope that sweet, sweet little old lady in the church who's been faithful here for 70 years, I hope she really likes those songs Andrew's cho choosing. It really stirs my heart up when she sings. Christianity is not about you doing you. It's not. It's the way the world is. It's not us. Christianity says things like this. Is there encouragement in Christ? Is there coming from love? And, and on the back end of all of that that he just says, he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do not look to your own interests. Those are from the Bible. Those are from the Bible. And if you can't embrace that, then you're not embracing the spirit of Christ. You're not embracing the mind of Christ. It is sad that you are being selfish. And yes, I know that there are lots of different places and ways you may be twisted or spin it that selfishness can be applauded these days, but not in the church, not in Christianity, not as followers of Christ. We don't want to look like a sad story we don't care to get the attention or the glory. We want Jesus to. And if Christ is exalted, there we go. That's our goal. The sadness of being selfish. Now, when he points this out, you can see in verses 3 and 4 that he gives a, a, another good example. So to verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, the opposite of selfishness is humility and that's when you think that others are more significant than yourselves. How special is that? You really do think that the other people in the body of Christ are more significant than you. It's not some fairy tale way of living. It's, it's what the New Testament teaches. It's what he's writing to the church. Listen, listen. It's the only type of way that will work if we're honest about what life's really like. If it's tension, striving, suffering, dying is gain, if it's that type of life, you better not be selfish. You ain't gonna last. Y'all know some people that haven't lasted in Christianity? Yeah, we do. You know some selfish people? Yeah, we do. You know some people that have given up on church? Oh, yeah, we do. You know some selfish people? Oh, yeah, we do. Unbelievable how many Christians don't do church anymore. Unbelievable. And they, 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 they've not read Philippians 2, 3, and 4. They're not able to look in the mirror and see, it's sad that I'm all about me. This, I'm looking right in the mirror. You know, I, see, I see myself. It's sad. Everything I'm doing, I want it to be about me. I want y'all to like me. I want y'all to get attention. I want to do the songs that I like. You know, you know, that type of stuff. It's just all about me here. That's sad, the Bible says. 
Do nothing from a selfish attitude. Count others as more significant than you. Do not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it's sad when we're being selfish. It's incredibly sad, listen, when we're being selfish on the back end of all that we have in Christ. If you read verse 1 and verse 2, and then you read verse 3 and verse 4, you're like, man, you're way apart. But see, if you're not looking at the truth and allowing this to kind of dissect your life and speak honestly to what your heart and desires are like, then you just say things like, well, you know, I mean, we're, we're all human. I mean, we're all human. I got to get selfish sometimes. I mean, and, there's, and, and, but, and we start making excuses for why we're selfish. But if you'll read verse 1, then you realize, hey, being selfish is sad, and he's not asking us to just kind of stop being so selfish or, or try, try our best to not talking so selfishly. No, he's asking us to turn a 180 in repentance away from selfishness and set our eyes on Christ where we have encouragement and comfort and participation and affection and sympathy and fellowship. He wants us to see something that is so much better called Christianity, called the church, called like-mindedness, called I am so happy that you are focused on Jesus. I am so thrilled. He's sitting in prison saying, complete my joy. Finish it all up. Make me as happy as happy can get sitting here in prison because you guys are focused on Jesus in each other. I mean, just picture this. And that's what Jesus can do. And it's not just a, a slight variation away from selfishness. No, it is a radical thinking of Jesus satisfies my soul. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The sweetness of being in Christ contrary the sadness of being selfish. But then lastly, the strength of Jesus' example. And that's where we go, verses 5 through 11, okay? The strength of Jesus' example. Look at verse 5. So you've got 1 through 4. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So verses 5 through 11 are the Christ hymn. It's actually a song that we think the early church sang. And from there, beginning at verse 6, he's about to go into this beautiful, poetic writing about how Jesus embodied verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. He's about to write for us how awesome Jesus was Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, fellowship in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. Jesus is that. Jesus is not uh, selfishly ambitious, conceited. Jesus is not looking out for himself first. Jesus is not looking only to his own interests. Jesus is looking to the interests of others. You remember when Jesus bowed his knee and cried his eyes out and said, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is the example, and there is so much strength. I mean, really, I want us to embrace that if you will truly look to Christ on a day in and day out, if you will follow him, if you will pick up your cross and turn and follow Christ, you will find the secret to life. You will find the sweetness. You will move away from the sadness, and you will be strengthened by walking with Jesus.
You won't be as selfish. You won't be as focused on you. You'll be more focused on others. You will find encouragement and comfort and effect. You'll find all of those things through Jesus. And so he says at verse five, have this attitude, the attitude of Jesus. Have this mind, the mind of Jesus. Now, I'm gonna save it for a later sermon, but I want you to hear how many times he's saying the, the mind, the mindset, the way you think, the way you view things, the way you process things. And it's got to be through the glory of Jesus. It's got to be through the truth. It's got to be through what the Bible says. It's got to be that, that here's what is real. This is what God wants me to know. This is the godly way. This is God's way. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's got to be that. Have this attitude, have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, he comes back to some other heavy stuff here in the book of Philippians. But let's remember that chapter one does mention the suffering and all of that. And his answer to it is the way of Christ. How is Jesus? In light of suffering, what was Jesus like? How, how did he handle it? In light of striving and walking through all of this and dealing with the ups and the downs and the, and the hardship of life, how was Jesus? In light of conflict, how was Jesus? In light of knowing, how was Jesus? Have this attitude among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. This past Sunday, we were in church. We finished up chapter one, and I imagine we had just had lunch when the news broke about Kobe Bryant. One of the greatest basketball players to ever play, flying in a helicopter with his 13-year-old daughter to play basketball and nine people on the helicopter and it crashed and they all died. Horrible, horrible tragedy. One that really has rocked the sports world. Heavy, heavy stuff. A good dad, a 41-year-old dad with his daughter. Seven others on the helicopter and they die. And I've enjoyed kind of watching and keeping up with all the ways that people are trying to honor him. And one of the things that, that they keep asking is, well, how, how do you honor him? What, what would be fitting? Should they wear a patch on their jersey? Should they change his number, retire his number? Some, some, uh, the Lakers actually canceled, canceled their game Tuesday night. Some of them did a moment of silence. Lots of people took a shot clock violation just to recognize him. Lots of ways, but how do we honor him? But I heard, I heard somebody say this. Kobe was such a fierce competitor that the best way to honor him would be to get out on the court and play our hardest for 48 minutes. That's what would honor Kobe the most. That's an honor. That's a nice legacy, man. Play hard, that's a good thing. I like that. What would honor Jesus the most? For you to have the same mind that he has. For you to say, man, I just want God to get the glory. It's not about me. And I know the steps of how you get to living like it's not about me. Because uh, every one of us, and I'm guilty of this too, every one of us are guilty at times of going, oh, it's not about me, and then living all about me, right? <laughs> we all know how to do that. But what are the steps of, of saying it's not all about me and then living a life that it's not all about you? Well, recognizing the tension, the chapter one stuff, and then being reminded, is there any encouragement in Christ? Are you encouraged by Jesus? 
Are you comforted by his love? Right? Those things and going, yes. And then out of that, say, I get that heart. I get that life from Jesus. He's my strength. He's my source in that. And in doing that, living the way Jesus lived, living because you have the mind of Jesus or the attitude of Jesus, there he's honored or there he's worshiped or there he's glorified. And that's our goal. That's the goal of the Christian. That's the goal of the church. And God teaches us. God teaches us that when we get focused on Jesus, he works. God provides the results. God's the one who changes hearts. God's the one who gives growth. God is the one who brings healing and comfort and understanding. God's the one that restores and repairs and forgives. God's the one that helps us move in the direction of anything good, right, and positive. But he only does that when we're focused on him. When we have that mind, that attitude, that this is about Jesus. So don't allow anything or anyone to bump that mindset or that attitude back onto selfish ambition or conceit, back onto self-interest, for that's going against the grain. That's not the way it works. That's not for the glory of God. We're Christians. He loves us. He gave his life for us. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Believe it, and upon believing it, may you find the sweetness and the strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Philippians chapter two. God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word, reminded as he writes a letter to the church, and God, thank you that it is so sweet to be a believer. God, help us to be able to see what selfishness looks like and help us to repent of it. God, forgive us. May we have the example of Christ as our strength. Father, we love you. May your word be a seed down inside of us that you are growing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.